All right, for the last several weeks, we've been on a series called Money Matters, as in matters pertaining to money, uh, but also money and how you think about it and how you use it matters to God, so it should matter to you as well. We want God's perspective on this. And as I said on the outset of the series, uh, money should definitely matter to us because the Bible tells us in Matthew 6.21 that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure, your money, your income, your finances are concerned, there your heart will be also, because your money is very near and dear to your heart. Remember I said that God knows that if he can be Lord over your money, he can more easily be Lord over the rest of your life as well. So this is a very important topic. Uh, so turn together with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which is our master text this morning. And while you're turning there, I'll just say that we've covered uh, two levels of generosity already. You know, the, the, the theme that's been kind of interwoven throughout these teachings so far is the theme of generosity. And we've covered two levels of giving and generosity so far, that being tithing and alms to the poor. And this morning, we're going to talk about two other levels of giving and generosity this morning. So that's kind of the agenda for this morning. But if you're there in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, go ahead and stand up with me, if you will. And let's honor the reading of the Word of God. Starting in chapter, rather, verse 6. It says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Thank you for repeating that with me. Cheerful giver, absolutely. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, and the Apostle Paul goes on to uh, quote uh, Psalm chapter 112 right here. He has scattered his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich, or another word there is enriched, in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the, of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. That is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because this text provides a wonderful promise. And that promise is that if you love God's kingdom and his people enough to invest some of your money in it, well, God's going to bless you in response. That's a promise. 
In fact, it says that the level of your blessing is contingent upon the level of your giving. I want to say that again. The level of your blessing is determined by the level of your giving. Because, folks, everything in life revolves around sowing and reaping. That's the way God has made the universe. Everything in life is re- revolves around sowing and reaping. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. That's in a good sense, and also it can be in a bad sense as well. Everything re- revolves around sowing and reaping, and not the least of which is our money. Okay, So let's now begin talking about the two other levels of giving beyond tithes and alms to the poor that we see in the Word of God. And the first one I'm going to call special offerings. And those are things that, uh, that we give to from time to time as needs arise. Uh, so I'm going to refer here to Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippian church, and he says this, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So see, the Philippian believers were willing to give into Paul's ministry as needs arose. Now, our church is so abundantly supplied that I think that I've erred as a pastor in some ways. And what I mean by that is I don't ever let any of you know about it when there's a need in the church that we have to spend some money on, because when there's a need, we just take the money out of the account and buy whatever because the money's there. Praise God for that. And by the way, one reason for that is because I shared with you in an earlier teaching on tithing that only 5% of American Christians tithe, but that's not true at this church. It's more like 90% at this church. Now, the other 10% of you probably need to get a revelation of this as well, because my goal is is 100%, because I want all of you to be blessed. You know, the other 10% that doesn't tithe, we're abundantly supplied already. We don't, I don't need to arm twist you because we don't, we're we're doing well. But it's for your benefit, you see. It's for your benefit. So again, back to my point, I don't, ever let people know about it when we have a need in a church that uh, we have to buy something for because, again, the money's there, so we just take the money out of the account and buy whatever. Um, But in rethinking that, I think that that might be a mistake to not provide you the opportunity uh, to give toward those needs as they come up so that you can be blessed in return. So you might see me, you might hear me from time to time bring up a need that we're looking to spend some money on, so that if you want to give to that, you can. Um, You know, as a matter of fact, there was one example recently of uh, we we had a a little printing project that we were gonna do. You remember those those brochures that we printed up, uh, the declarations? So we had a printing done of some brochures with all these different scriptures on them and some declarations and some decrees related to those scriptures that you can be speaking over yourself. And when I said that we were going to do that printing, someone in the congregation said, hey, I want to give to that. That's something that I believe in. I want to give to that. And so I'm like, okay, well, great. Well, how much do you want to give to it? And this person said, I want to take care of the whole thing. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. When needs come up, there may be something that you really believe in and that you want to contribute to, and I want to give you the opportunity to do that because there's an extra blessing 
um, over and above your tithe when you do that. Um, see, the, the, the Bible tells us that the tithe belongs to God. That first 10% off the top, that belongs to God. He said, that's mine. But that other 90%, you can do with it whatever you want. So when you start tapping into that other 90%, that's what really starts getting the flow of blessings going. Okay, so that's what I'm referring to. So you might hear me from time to time just mention a need. If you want to give to it, great. If you don't want to, it's fine because the money's probably already there in the account anyway. So there's no pressure at all. It's just something that if you want to do it, that's great. Um, now, on that note, I also want to refer to continuing in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 18. And it says, and this, again, the, the Apostle Paul writing, I have all I need and more. So he's not putting any pressure on them. He says, I have all I need and more now that I have received your gift from Epaphroditus. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, I want to go on and read the next verse, verse 19, which is a verse that people like to claim over themselves a lot. But I want you to see the context of verse 19 so that we don't lift it out of context and apply it inappropriately. And it says this, And my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And again, that's fine to claim that verse for yourself, that God will provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. That's fine to claim that over yourself. But that verse can only apply to you if you've been doing the previous verses, which is being generous toward the advancement of the gospel. So that means partner with a ministry that's proclaiming the gospel and then help finance it. Now, some people out there might say, well, brother, the gospel doesn't need to be financed. It will just advance by word of mouth organically. Um, read the Bible. Okay? The Apostle Paul's ministry needed to be financed. And even Jesus' ministry was supported by generous financiers. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' ministry, there was so much money coming in that he needed a treasurer to keep track of it all. And that treasurer, by the way, happened to be a thief, Judas. And apparently, once again, there was so much money coming into Jesus' ministry that no one even seemed to notice when Judas was helping himself to some of it once in a while. <laughs> so you can't tell me the gospel doesn't need to be financed, folks. Of course it needs to be financed. You know, when you look at big ministries with global impacts, like Billy Graham's ministry, as an example, when he was still alive, when he did those big crusades, guess what? That took money to pull those things off, and lots of it. Someone, and lots of someones, had to contribute to Billy Graham's ministry to do what he did. So there may be a ministry that God wants you to partner with over and above your tithe, either regularly or at least from time to time as needs come up. And unlike the tithe, which is a set amount, when you start dipping into that 90% that's yours to do whatever you want, you dictate the amount in those cases. So in these special offerings, you dictate the amount. So it's whatever amount you want to give. That's why that passage that we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says that, um, that we, God loves a cheerful giver, that we shouldn't be giving under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. So you give whatever amount you decide in those cases. Okay? All right. Now, um, I want to transition here into another level of giving. 
And that's what I'm gonna call extravagant offerings, extravagant offerings. So let's define this. The word extravagant simply means lacking restraint in spending money or using resources. Lacking restraint in using money um, or uh, uh, spending money or using resources. Now we could uh, use this term in a negative sense, like you've heard that saying before, he spends money like a drunken sailor. That's lacking restraint, but there's a positive sense here biblically as well. So again, the word extravagant simply means lacking restraint in spending money or using resources. It goes way above and beyond what is needed. You can write that down. Extravagant giving goes way above and beyond what's needed or even considered frugal. Even considered frugal. And yes, extravagant offerings are biblical. And the purposes, uh, the purposes for these kinds of offerings vary. Now, one reason is simply an offering of thanksgiving to honor the Lord for his kindness. And this is what the formerly immoral woman did when she poured an entire flask of anointing oil on Jesus, like you see pictured there in that painting. And when that scene unfolded, when that woman barged into that house and poured that entire flask of anointing oil on Jesus, do you know what Judas did? He complained. Because he knew from the fragrance that began filling the room what that flask contained. You see, the Bible tells us that it was pure nard, or spike nard, which was a fragrant oil made from an Indian plant that grew in the Himalayas. So it wasn't native to Israel, uh, so it had to be imported, which means it was very expensive. So when that happened and Judas said what he did, Jesus rebuked Judas and told him to leave her alone because she had done a beautiful thing. See, her offering, which by the way was worth more than a year's wages to the common worker, was precious in God's sight. And by the way, let me take a little side journey here. I, I, I want to read between the lines where this woman is concerned. See, because the Bible tells us that this woman had lived an immoral life prior to meeting Jesus. She may have well been a prostitute. So this fragrant oil was likely something that she anointed herself with prior to engaging in immorality. But when she met Jesus, she repented of that lifestyle. And one of the very things that was such an integral part of that lifestyle now became a sacrifice that she used to pour out on Jesus. It was as if she was saying, I won't use this for immorality anymore. I don't need it anymore. I give everything to you, even that which I once held as precious. It's now an offering that I give to you. Isn't that beautiful? Praise God. Well, another reason that the extravagant offering is given beyond what is needed is to help people who are in need, God's people who are in need, and bless them abundantly. And we see an example of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul wrote these words. The churches in Macedonia are being tested by many troubles, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in what? Rich Generosity, yes. 
For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more than what they could afford. And they did it of their own free will. No one had to twist their arm, in other words. They begged us again and again for for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They did even more than what we had hoped. In other words, folks, these believers were suffering hardships of their own. But because they cared so much about the situation of other believers in need, they were able to collectively gather enough for a donation that surprised even the Apostle Paul. They gave more than he or anyone else expected and certainly above and beyond what was needed. And on that note, extravagant offerings, extravagant giving will exceed what is expected. That's another characteristic of extravagant offerings, that they will exceed what is expected by the recipients. In fact, in Acts 2, we see an example of this, verses 44 and 45, which says, they, the believers there, they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all. I'm going to let that sink in. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all. Now, how often today do we see believers with a surplus selling their homes or their rental properties or their farms or liquidating their retirement accounts or emptying their savings to help people with a shortfall? I think that we would agree that that kind of asset liquidation uh, for the, uh, helping others in need is far beyond what anyone expected then or even now. Yet those affluent believers opened their protected vaults and uh, made available considerable additional resources for the Lord's use and for the sake of the poor. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever given like that, even one time? Have you ever opened up your hidden vault to the Lord and made such an extravagant gift that the recipients were blown away by it? They were overwhelmed or stunned by the size of the gift? There was one time when Donna and I cleaned out our entire savings and gave it to a ministry that had been a tremendous blessing to us. And you know what? We didn't go under. As a matter of fact, God gave us more, much more than what we gave. Now, folks, believers in the New Testament model this extravagant giving for us time and time again. As a matter of fact, in the lives of these early believers, this kind of extravagant giving was not the exception. It was the rule. It was the norm. So let me give you some other examples of extravagant giving that we see in the Bible. So I first want to make this point right here about another extravagant or another characteristic of of extravagant giving, and that's that extravagant giving will exceed what is affordable. Exceed what is affordable. Let me give you an example of this from the scriptures. This is from Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. So let's read this together. As Jesus was sitting opposite the treasury, he watched the crowd putting money into it. Side note, a lot of people today say, well, pastor, you and the elders shouldn't know what I give. 
look what Jesus did. He sat adjacent the treasury and watched people as he put in their offerings. Okay? So let's, let's start at the beginning. And Jesus was sitting opposite the treasury. He watched the crowd putting money into it. And many rich people put in large amounts. Then one poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounted to a small fraction of a denarius, which is a very tiny sum of money, almost like our penny today. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others into the treasury, for they all contributed out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. So once again, an extravagant offering will exceed what is financially frugal on the surface. So, In this case, in this woman's case, the amount of her offering wasn't much to other people, but it was huge to her because this was her sustenance. See, it was her heart that got Jesus' attention, not the amount. And for that reason, Jesus said that she gave more than all the others. In other words, she had more love for the ministry than, than anyone else because she was willing to give all that she had to live on for it. So her percentage was way larger than anyone else's. And folks, this kind of giving, listen to this. This kind of giving requires great faith. I'm going to say that again. This kind of giving requires great faith. I mean, who is going to give all you have to live on unless you're absolutely convinced that God will take care of you and bless you in response, like this little woman did. She would never have done that if she wasn't absolutely convinced that God would take care of her and sustain her and bless her in response. You know, if you're about to go under financially anyway, and you don't have enough money to pay your bills, maybe you should take what little you have and make an extravagant offering Trusting God to take care of you because he will not let you go under. That's what the widow at Zarephath did in the time of Elijah. See, in that time in Israel, there was a great famine in the land. And that woman and her young son were starving. So she was out gathering sticks to make, a, to make one last meal, to make a fire, to make one last meal with what little flour that she had left. And then she told Elijah, we're going to make this one last meal and eat it, and then we're going to die. And that's when when the word of the Lord came to the prophet. And he made a very bold request of her that required faith on her part, too. He said, go make a cake of bread for me first. And then when you do, your supply will not run out. And she trusted what the man of God said. Once again, she responded in great faith. So she went and she made a a cake of bread for him first. And the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 17 that her supply was supernaturally blessed. And she and her son had plenty to take them through that terrible famine that they were in. Her supply was supernaturally blessed. 
when she gave even out of her poverty so that she had plenty. Praise God. Folks, there's a level of generosity that will challenge you. There's a level of generosity that takes great faith. But it's that level of generosity that we saw with that little woman that put in two small coins not worth much into the treasury and that widow at Zarephath who took what little flour she had left and made one last meal and gave it to the prophet. It's that kind of level of faith that God blesses, that puts you in position for more of the blessing and favor of God to flow to and also through you. Praise the Lord. Now, we're all familiar with C.S. Lewis, I think, and he says something on this topic that I I didn't realize he said this until I started studying this out, but man, this is a, a really, really challenging statement. So I want you to read with me what he says on this topic. He says this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than what we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. He continues, If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. Yeah, I thought it would be a dead silent in here after quoting that. But he's speaking the truth. Listen, one indicator of extravagant giving is that you're giving more than what you can, quote, afford. Okay? See, the world and your financial advisors and maybe even some of your family members will tell you, that's too much. You can't afford to give that much away. But that's kind of the point. You see, when those with a worldly mindset begin telling us that we're giving too much, then we know at that point that our giving is probably starting to be just the right amount. Folks, listen. The Bible repeatedly uses the descriptive term sacrifice to describe our giving to the Lord. Because in our sacrificing, we should be, in our giving rather, we should be sacrificing something that we might really, quote, need for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying don't pay your bills and don't don't take care of your family because the Bible tells us to do both. But the point is that we need to always be endeavoring to excel in the grace of giving more and more. Once you reach a certain level, don't rest on your laurels because the Lord's going to bless you in return. So don't rest on your laurels. Continue to endeavor to excel in the grace of giving more and more, and God will funnel even more money to and through you because that's how it works. It's sowing and reaping. In 2 Samuel 24, there's the story about when King David wanted to give an offering to the Lord, a special offering to the Lord. And there was a man by the name of Aruna that offered to give David um, 
everything that he needed to make that sacrifice. The land, the wood, the altar, the animal, everything. And David flatly refused that gracious offer because he explained, I will not make an offering to the Lord which cost me nothing. He understood the importance of sacrifice where his giving was concerned. See, the very idea of sacrifice is hardwired, folks, into the concept of giving. So let me ask you a question. I told you at the outset of this series that this topic is going to shine the spotlight on some heart issues. I told you at the outset of this series it's going to shine the spotlight on our selfishness. So let me ask you a question. Does your current giving pinch or hamper you at all? As C.S. Lewis was saying there, he's saying if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. So let me ask you again, does your current level of giving pinch or hamper you at all? See, once we allow the heart and mind of God to totally permeate our hearts and our minds and our lives, then we'll come to embrace the idea that the more frugally we can live, the more extravagantly we can give. Let me say that again. We'll come to embrace the idea that the more frugally we can live, the more extravagantly we can give. Praise God. So then, we need to do some evaluation of our money and expenditures if we're really going to live this way. So, do we really need that new car, or should we invest that money into the kingdom? Do we really need that new outfit, or should we consider giving that money to the poor? Do we really need to go on that vacation, or should we consider doing something with that money to support the local church or the advancement of the gospel in some other way? (laughs) You see, I think that some of you probably even flinched and bristled a little when I said those things. Uh, Because our mindsets are so worldly and selfish. See, and that flinching proves that we still have some work to do in our hearts and our motives. But you know what? I know that there's several of you in the congregation, Donna and me being one of them, who have given extravagantly and to the point where it hurts. And we've never been sorry that we did that. Because God has always come through for us much more than what we gave. Yeah, it hurt a little in the beginning. And it's probably hurting right now as as you're even contemplating some of this. What, clean out my savings? Do you think God can't give you back more than what you gave even if you cleaned out your savings? Folks, I've heard of people, there's a pastor that I know in, in Texas who said that there was one time he gave away everything he owned. And he was well-to-do. He gave away his house. He gave away everything in his savings. He gave away uh, his vehicles. Uh, He gave away pretty much everything. And I won't take the time to go into his testimony right now, but, um, well, it's it's Robert Morris, the 
pastor in Dallas, Texas. You should hear his testimony. And the Lord not only gave him everything back and more, but the Lord gave him an airplane, his own private airplane, and gave him a pilot to take him wherever he wanted to go whenever he wanted to go there. Well, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you his story. So he had been living this lifestyle for a long time, just giving away stuff, I mean, just extravagant giver. And the Lord blessed him more and more and more and more until he had quite a big estate. But then the Lord dealt with him to give away everything. Just tested his faith, give away everything. And so he did that. He gave away everything. Now, he was still living in his house at the time, but he had committed to give away his house as well, but he was still living in it at the time. And so once all the deals were made, basically, he was sitting in his recliner and he said to the Lord, Lord, you know, I've given away cars and you've given me cars. I've given away houses, you've given me houses. But I think I got you this time. He said, I gave away everything. He said, I think I got you this time. And right about then the phone rang. And there was a man on the other end who said, Pastor Morris, God just dealt with me to give you an airplane. Like a multi-million dollar airplane. And I've hired a pilot for you. And all you have to do is call him and he will take you wherever you want to go, whenever you want to go there. So God gave him everything back and more, plus a multi-million dollar airplane equipped with his own private pilot. You cannot give God. Now, I haven't gotten to, to the point where I have given away everything yet, but Donna and I have given away lots of stuff. We've given away cars. We've given away lots of money. Uh, we've been very generous, and God has taken very, very good care of us. But I'm telling you, God is challenging me to go to the next level. And I believe he's challenging you to go to the next level because there's more work that we have to do for his kingdom. He's coming back soon. And he wants to find us busy about his business when he returns. Praise God. So again, I think this is good timing for this series because we may be facing some troubled times in our call. I mean, I just talked to a, a guy yesterday in FedEx office and he said, yeah, there's a, there's a paper shortage right now. I'm like, a paper shortage? He said there's a shortage on, on feminine products, there's a shortage, on, there's been a shortage on baby formula, I mean, all kinds of stuff. There's a shortage, I don't know what is uh, over the horizon, but see, living this way, living a lifestyle of generosity is shelter from the storm because God takes care of you. Like I said, um, you know, our mindsets are so worldly that when I start saying these things that I said a moment ago about, do you really need that new car or do you need to invest that money into the kingdom? Do you really need that new outfit or should you invest that money into the poor? Do you really need that vacation or should you invest that money into your church or the advancement of the gospel in some way? And I, I know human nature. I know you're thinking, ah, come on. Yeah, now you've gone to meddling, pastor. And that reveals our worldly, selfish mindsets. And that flinching proves that we still have some work to do in our hearts and our motives. So I'm going to give you a summary of what I've covered so far in this teaching. And that summary 
is this. I'm just going to go down the list here. You can write this first one down. Extravagant giving is sacrificial. Extravagant giving is sacrificial. Because it exceeds what is needed, what is expected, and what is affordable. But the good news of that is this next one. It all comes back to you and more. Ecclesiastes 11.1 says, Cast your bread upon the water, and after many days it will come back to you. Because God will never let you outgive him. He always repays those who invest into his kingdom. So if we, we really want to be one of the Lord's obedient and extravagant givers, we need to open our minds and open our hearts and open our secret vaults of hidden treasures to him. And once we open ourselves up to the Lord completely like that, and let me qualify what I mean. A lot of us like to think that we've opened ourselves up to the Lord, but when you start evaluating your money, mm, there's more opening up to the Lord that we could do. It's a very sensitive topic, isn't it? So when we begin opening ourselves up to the Lord like that, he begins transforming us into people that others might say act an awful lot like Jesus. And wouldn't that be a glorious way to live out the rest of our days here on earth? Now, on a closing note, I think I have some time to do a, a little bit of a testimony here. I promised that I was going to give you um, some testimonies of what Donna and I have experienced, and I want to hear some, from some other people, and uh, maybe next week I may bring up some other people to give some of their testimonies, but I think I have some time, a little bit of time, to give you my testimony before, before we end. But as we come down home stretch here, um, I want to say that some people in this congregation have said to me that they want to get to the place financially where they can fund our new building and uh, be an extravagant giver and be an extravagant blessing to this church. And Donna and I really appreciate that attitude. And as a matter of fact, we have said some of those same things. But I believe that one of the ways that we get there, folks, one of the ways that we get there is begin giving sacrificially and extravagantly now. You've got to start someplace because everything's sowing and reaping. You can't wait for your windfall to come in someday and then begin giving. It doesn't work like that. You begin giving now and God will begin bringing back more to you so that someday over time you can give so much where you can fund an entire building fund. See, if we want to get to that place, like some of us have, have expressed that we want to get to, we need to begin giving sacrificially and extravagantly now so that we place ourselves in the position for God to funnel even more money to and through us. That's how this works. Sowing and reaping. So, as I said a moment ago, this teaching today, this series, has really challenged me, even though Donna and I are already generous givers. As a matter of fact, in a recent analysis of our giving, Donna determined that we're giving away 15% of our gross income. Now, why would we want to stop with 15% though? Why not go for 30% or 50%? Or like R.G. Latorno, the, the Christian man who was the founder of Caterpillar, who eventually was giving away 90% of his income and living like a king 
off that 10%. Because God took care of him so much. So why stop at 10%? Why stop at 15? Why not go for 30, 50, etc.? We have to start moving in that direction. Praise God. And remember, God won't let you starve or go under financially when you start giving this way. He won't. See, the more you give, the more returns to you. And that's the principle of Luke 6.38 that I want to end on before I give you a short testimony. Luke 6.38 is an extremely important principle. This is a universal truth. Okay, this can work for or against you, but we're using it in the positive sense today. It says this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use to give, it will be measured back to you. Now, <clears throat> what is the imagery that it's using there? It's using a farming imagery where you know, seed is poured into um, you know, a, a basin or a basket, and they, they pour it in and they fill it up until, until it starts to overflow. And so that you can fit more in, they pack it down, they press it down and pack it down, you know, like what happens to your cereal box. Right? I mean, you open it up and it's only half full because it's, it's packed down now. Same concept. Okay? So, so a good measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, and still running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use to give, that same measure will be used to give back to you. That's a promise. All right. So before we close, I want to give our own personal testimony on this. I'll try to make this brief, but this is a little bit of a, a long story. I'll try to condense it some. Um, when I asked Donna to marry me, I was 26 years old. And no, sorry, I was 27 years old. I'd just been serving the Lord for about a year. And when I'd asked Donna to marry me, um, I was in very high demand in the marketplace. That's a joke. <laughs> I, was, I had a job at a furniture-making uh, wood factory where I was the finish man. So I sprayed those you know, high-gloss finishes on the wood and made the furniture look pretty. And I'd made a whopping $10 an hour. And uh, so I have no idea why Donna decided to marry me, but one of my prayers, by the way, prior to getting together with Donna was that I wanted to find a woman that loved me for something other than my money. Be careful what you pray for, because I was pretty poor prior to marrying Donna. I had never made more than $15,000 in the course of a year. Uh, and uh, when, when I got married, it just so happened that the, that little furniture-making wood factory folded, went out of business two weeks before our wedding date. So I walked down the aisle unemployed. And Donna wasn't making that much money either. So she worked at the Human Resources Department of Budget Rent-A-Car, not making very much money either. So she was supporting us for the first several weeks and first couple of months of our marriage. And she be began to think, I found out later, the thought process started to enter her mind. Uh, did I make a mistake? Uh, did I marry a bum here? Uh, because I was, I was looking through the classifieds for something that I thought would, you know, uh, thought would be something that 
and I was, I, listen, I did some really very embarrassing work to try to just bring in anything. I sold knockoff perfume door to door. You talk about humiliating work. Uh, I, I sold print media advertising, which that was an all on commission, by the way. Didn't do very well with any of those. So I was, it was really a frustrating time. So I was looking through the classifieds of the Indianapolis Star. We lived in Greenwood at the time. And um, I found this ad um, looking for uh, a consultant um, for a company that made nutritional products, to uh, holistic products to sell to doctors that did holistic medicine. And I'm like, well, I kind of have a, a fitness and health-oriented background, so that sounds kind of interesting to me. I'm going to go check this out. So the first meeting, I just got to set this up for you. The first meeting wasn't like a one-on-one -on -one interview. It was like a, a room full of people that were vying for this position. The CEO was explaining kind of the concept of the company. And back then, um, I was still wearing what I affectionately call now my super mullet. You know, business up front and party in the back, you know. And, and it was, I, I call it super mullet because it was not just like a little length in the back. It was down on my shoulder blades by that time. Okay, so I, I looked really professional in the marketplace. And that's how I went to this meeting. And so I didn't look very professional. I got there, I knew I was outclassed the minute I walked in that meeting because all these other professional men, you know, high and tight haircuts, you know, really sharp dressers, the ties and all, and I, I didn't even have a jacket on. For, I wore a tie with a short sleeve shirt and no jacket. And I sat in the front row listening to the CEO, CEO explain the, the um, concept of the business. And I almost got up and walked out because for a minute there, it sounded like it was a multi-level business, like Amway or something, and I didn't want to do anything like that. So I almost, I was this close to getting up and walking out. But I hung in there, and at the end of the meeting, um, where he introduced the, the concept of the business and the job, and there was like 30 other men in there. And they looked like they knew their way about around the business world. Well, there was a wine and cheese reception in the back room that we were all uh, invited to, t to participate in. And I wasn't interested in that. So I made a beeline for the door. I was like, I, man, I'm out class here. I'm out of here. And so I left. The CEO of the company chased me out the door. Walked past all those other very professional men. Chased me out. This long-haired kid chased me out the door and said, would you come back for an interview tomorrow? I went, um, yeah. And so it was then uh, early the next day that I got my hair cut. I put on the suit that Donna and I got married in and I fumbled through this interview. And then I got a call two days later. Would you come to Illinois for another interview? Oh, uh, okay. See, the, I felt like I fumbled through that interview, but the Lord blessed me and sustained me in that. Amen. I went to that private interview, and by the way, by that time, he had narrowed it down from those 30 men to me and one other guy. Wow. <clears throat> and in that second interview, I was sitting across the table from the CEO, and he was asking me these series of questions. And one of the questions that he asked me um, was, if you're sitting 
across the table with a client and they ask you a question that you don't know how to answer, how do you respond? And I didn't know how to answer his question, so I sat there silently for a very awkward, long silence trying to figure out how he was going to answer this question. And thankfully, by the grace of God, he broke the silence and he said, exactly. He said, you don't say anything if you don't know how to answer the question. Or you say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. Let me do a little bit of homework and I'll get back to you on that. I had no idea what I was doing. I was trying to formulate some answer. I had to come up with something, pull something out of the hat. And the CEO said, that's exactly right. My silence is what he wanted to hear. God's at work. I knew right then God was at work. Well, long story short, well, to make a longer story longer, uh, um, I got the job out of all those men. My income doubled just like that. Now, I still wasn't making a whole lot of money because I didn't make a whole, I mean, double the income from where I was, still wasn't a whole lot of money. But uh, I went from, I'll just throw out these numbers because it's, it's okay, we're all family. Um, so I went from $30,000 a year in 1993 to five months later making $45,000 a year, and I, I felt like I was in heaven making $45,000 a year because I'd come from such poverty. I felt like, oh my gosh, what? what? And the, the, the little, we, we went up to a, another little apartment from a one-room apartment to a two-room apartment. And I'm serious. I looked around at that little apartment, two-room apartment, and I felt like I was the richest man in the world. And as we continued, God, as God continued to bless us, we continued to give more. We were even more generous. My income continued to go up. We graduated to another like 2,200 square foot house uh, up in Greenwood that we built. And I looked around that place with a garden tub. I'm like, I have a garden tub? And I took a bubble bath in the garden tub and I'm like, Lord, you are amazing. And as the Lord blessed us, we continued to give more and more. We were not shy at that point about giving our tithe, even though our tithe got much bigger. Tithe got much bigger, and we continued to give and be generous even above and beyond the tithe. And God continued to bless us. And my income has exponentially increased many-fold over those years, many-fold. God has extravagantly blessed us. But look, folks, we don't just stop at the tithe. We do crazy stuff that some of you were like, would be like, are you nuts? Like cleaning out our whole savings and giving it to a ministry that had been a blessing to us. We give to the poor. Um, there's times where I just look for opportunities to be generous to people. Just yesterday, um, we were, I was having a, a meeting with a young man and just a young man that I've taken under my wing and just mentoring him and, and uh, and we took a long day. It was a two-hour meeting at, I, at IHOP. And I knew that this, I mean, two hours at our booth, I was like, our, our waitress is probably going, when are you guys going to leave so I can get somebody else in here that's going to tip? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right? You, 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 ser you servers know what I'm talking about. So after two hours, I, I, I flagged her down and I said, hey, let me ask you a question. What's the average tip that you make? for each table, because I know that we spend a long time here and I wanna make sure I take care of you. 
And she told me what the average tip was. And um, I said, well, you know what? God's going to really take care of you today because I appreciate your patience with us, allowing us to be here this long, you continuing to serve us so well. So I gave her 10 times that amount yeah. in the tip. Right. 10 times. Awesome. So, so now I say that to say this. I, I don't do that to brag on myself. I want to challenge you guys to do some of those same things because God blesses that. kind. I just look for opportunities to be generous because God blesses that. I've been in line in um, a restaurant before. And if I remember this one particular time. I was in line at a restaurant and there, there was this uh, uh, elderly couple in line right next to me that I struck up a conversation with and they were just really nice and I was enjoying talking to them. And, and some remark was made, I forget what the remark was, but the, the couple said, oh yeah, and it's like, you're, you're probably gonna even pay for our meal today, aren't you? And I went, yes, I am. <laughs> and so I paid for their meal and they, it was, they blew them away. And you know what they asked me? They said, are you a pastor or something? Now, at that point, I was not a pastor. But see, when you do that for people, it's like something's different about that guy. So I was able to share a little bit of the, of the Lord with them. Because, because see, when you're generous, it gives you the opportunity to share the Lord with people. Um, there was another time when I did my giving anonymously because I knew that this couple was, or that this family was already a Christian family. So I was down in Kentucky, I was traveling. I was in a, um, an Asian restaurant, which was, you know, not a super upscale restaurant, but not a dive either. So, you know, the prices were, you know, middle of the road. And I saw this, I was eating by myself because I was, I was there out of town on business. And I saw this family walk in. You can tell they were a family of faith because they were more of the, the Pentecostal persuasion by the way they were dressed and the way the, the, the wife and the, the daughters wore their hair. And I was just admiring this beautiful large family of, of nine children. And as I looked at that family, for those of you that know how the Lord speaks to you, I just got an inner knowing. It's like that. It, this hit me like really hard. I knew it was the Lord speaking. He said, I want you to buy that entire family's dinner today. And I went, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 11, 11 people at this restaurant. And I started to argue with the Lord a little bit, but I knew by then not, not to do that because the Lord had, Lord was setting me up for a blessing and he wanted to bless them at the same time. So this is one of those kind of restaurants where you pay at the end um, and you go up to the register and you pay at the register. You don't pay your waitress. So I, I took my ticket up to pay for my ticket and I said, you see that family over there? I've got theirs too. And they never knew who I was. And so that's something that you need to, that's one way to give as well. Don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. I didn't do it to get appreciation from them. I did it out of obedience to the Lord because I knew what he was doing. He wanted to bless them because it may have been a little tight for them. And the Lord wanted to bless them because he loved them. But he was setting me up for a blessing too. And so I, 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 Donna and I do this stuff all the time. And so it's no coincidence that God has blessed us like he has. There's, there's cause and effect, ladies and gentlemen, because the Bible says when you give like this, God will never be your debtor. He will always make sure that you're blessed in return. Why? Because he, he knows that he can trust you with the blessing so that you give even more when the opportunities present themselves. That's why. 
Has this been a blessing to you today? Hallelujah. Stand up. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.